This is uh, Jesus Christ, the King of everything. He has been long awaited. He's the promised King. Heaven has affirmed it with his baptism. His words and his work confirmed it. People are crowding to hear him and benefit from him. And he has said, the kingdom of heaven is near. It's at hand. I'm here. It's here. And uh, the people of God who had waited a long time, the covenant people, were looking for a political revolution, and he was not bringing that. He was bringing a spiritual revolution or solution. He was communicating the good news, the gospel, the seed that we're going to talk about today, the good news. He came, Mark chapter 1, 14 and 15, he came preaching the gospel of God, God's gospel. Good news, repent and believe. That's the seed that saves. So he came preaching it, and he validated the authority of the message by his words and work. And so now he is with a parable, which means to throw beside a comparison, an illustration, if you will, a teaching tool of comparing something known to something they needed to know, Someone has said an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, a parable, in an effort to explain the responses that people will have to the seed that he is sowing, the gospel. I want you to know, he would say to his disciples, that many will hear, but few will truly believe. How apropos you have the message or the missionary report, and thank you for that, and I hope we can make that a rhythm of both our prayer and our support for our missionaries. Wonderful thing to be on the field and know that you have God's people praying for you. But there you are in a country that hears a lot about Jesus Christ, but the seed that is sown does not take root. A, because it's defective seed, Roman Catholicism, it's Jesus Christ plus the church. It's Jesus Christ plus my good deeds that ratify my righteousness. I am just before God, not just because of what Jesus did, however wonderful that is, but I secure my salvation through my ongoing good works through my relationship with the church. And the gospel isn't that message. But you have seed being sown even by missionaries, eight years, not much response. Why? And then you have crowds like Jesus is dealing with, standing room only. Matthew's gospel says they were standing on the seashore. He's in a boat because it's so crowded, this interest in this man and his message. And that crowd, though many, were not truly born again, saved, transformed by the message of God, the good news of God, the gospel. This is meant to say many will hear, but few will truly believe. Some will make claims, but they will not last, and they're not legitimate. And the summary statement is those who truly believe, and this is the message focused today, will have explosive, undeniable growth. That if your good seed in good soil, God's good seed in the good soil of a human heart, there will be amazing, explosive growth and impact. 
So we're picking up in this third installment, trying to help you understand the four potential responses to the seed, the gospel, and the potential reasons for those responses. Four kinds of hearts as typified by four soils and the four potential responses of people to the seed of the word of the kingdom of God, the gospel of God as given by Jesus and the reasons that prompt those responses. And I ask you to take an honest assessment of your heart because this would be considered a crowd. It'll be a larger crowd in our auditorium, our worship center in a little while. Seed is being sown both here and there, but few. Few are truly converted based on the message of Jesus Christ. Now, I would argue the probability at our church is that percentage could and should be higher. But we need to admit and objectively acknowledge that many will say, Lord, Lord, I never knew you. So it's possible to say it and not have it. It's even possible to have convictions. You're my Lord. This parable is meant to give insight as to how people will respond and why they respond. Mark chapter 4. I'm going to read and highlight, and then we're going to jump right in because we will land this plane today on the runway. All right, verse 2, he was teaching them many things in parables and was saying to them in his teaching, listen to this. And I pointed that out. Listen to this means pay attention. This is important. Not that it's more important than other things, but he emphasizes its importance by saying, listen. Behold, the sower went out to sow. This is the parable. And he was sowing. Some seed fell beside the road. First kind of soil. Hard. And the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil. That's shallow. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Hard, shallow, that's rocky, it's a shelf of rock, so it's thin soil. Thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into the good soil, that's our focus today. And as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced 30, 60, and 100-fold. Verse 9, and he was saying, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Listen, now that you've heard, do something with what you've heard. If you have ears, respond to what you've heard. Jump down with me to verse 14 of chapter 4. Actually, let's start in 13 because he emphasizes again the value of this illustration. Verse 13, and Jesus said to them, he's talking to his disciples, he's explaining the parable he has just told, the illustration. Do you not understand this parable? Because they were asking for explanation, and he's saying, listen, you don't get this? If you don't get this, how will you understand all the parables? Let me summarize by reminding you, this is foundational. You don't get this one, you don't get any of them. 
This is the beginning. Verse 14, here's the explanation. The sower sows the word. So the word is the word of the gospel, the word of Jesus Christ, the gospel of the kingdom. Repent and believe the truth of God revealed through the person of the Son of God and ultimately from missionary and agents of truth, of which you'd be one, a disciple of Christ if you are sharing the good news that saves. Seed sowers. Verse 15, these are the ones who are beside the road. So you have the four soils. First one we've talked about, beside the road soil. Hard soil, impenetrable soil. Where the word is sown there, the people hear, but it can't get in the ground to germinate and grow, and the enemy comes along and takes it away. Hard soil. So the first kind of response is a hard heart response. And I argued that part of the reason why hearts are hard is the hardness of indifference. I don't need this. I'm quite content. Maybe Italy. I've got what I need. I've got religion that works for me. I've got a life that is acceptable to me, and I'm not hungry. It is a heart that's disconnected from the deeper needs because it's muted by temporal pleasures, achievements, accomplishments, relationships, possessions, and maybe even so-called religion. It's hard because it doesn't need the seed. They have no need of it. And I argued that indifference makes it hard. Ignorance makes it hard. Ignorance means it's unplowed. They don't have any understanding. They have not plowed the soil considering what the truth and their need might be. They haven't prepared the soil of their heart, nor has anyone else prepared the soil of their heart. So it is hard because they hear it, they don't get it, because they haven't taken time to seek it. Never saw it, therefore they've not been taught, therefore they do not hear with understanding. Their heart is hard. I argued grievance was a basis for hard-heartedness. Because one of the Gospels, Luke 8, says, some fell beside the road and it was trampled underfoot. Argued that trampled underfoot is grievance, injury, walked on, injured by the world and maybe injured by life. You get calloused, you get cold, you get hard. God's bad. I don't want to know a God like this. God allows sickness and injury and loss, catastrophic negatives, not interested. They hear it, they are not risking it, nor do they trust a God to provide what is promised in the good news. Trampled underfoot also involves bad influence. It involves the people on the roadway, false teachers, sometimes bad friends who trample the seed of the gospel, and the heart that would receive the gospel if it were not affected by and badly influenced by those who deceive, deny, can't trust the Bible. There's no such thing as hell. God is a force or a power if that works for you. You hear the ongoing drumbeat of liars and hypocritical professors and you end up having no confidence. No. Spurgeon wrote, the hard-hearted may loiter. Satan does not loiter because Matthew's gospel says immediately. 
Satan comes. Hard hearts. Option number two, and again, the question to be asked is, taking an honest look at your heart, what kind of heart do you have? The second one was called rocky ground, literally shallow soil, because it had to do with a thin layer of, of ground on top of a plateau of rock. So, and so it was hard pan with a little bit of soil on it. Jesus said second kind of shallow, superficial, quick response, receive it with great joy, but that's temporary, verse 17, when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, in other words, the cost of fellowship and discipleship, the challenge of it inwardly and outwardly too great, they fall away. So option two is a shallow and superficial heart, temporary, I'm going to argue fundamentally emotional, immediate joy, man, I need this, my life's a wreck without this, I quickly embrace this, but I've not deeply listened, deeply thought about this. Listen, if you get saved, you have emotions. The sorrow of God produces godly sorrow. The goodness of God produces sorrow. Sorrow and then the hope that comes with the good news that saves. Listen, if you're transformed, it's not all this. There are emotions, but it's not just emotions. It has the roots that consider the cost. It recognizes the realities of what you're choosing. You're counting the cost. You're making a choice. You're denying yourself. You're choosing Christ and His salvation instead of the life and the path you're on. True salvation is more than shallow emotion. It it involves deep cost, consequences, and consideration, and a choice. Third option, verse 18, thorny soil. The others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world insecurity, I've got to do this, there's more important things materially that I need to address, the unhealthy belief that I have to give my time to my physical needs, to the detriment of my spiritual needs to survive, those worries, those concerns dominate my decisions, they dominate my schedule, choked off because I'm too busy working for security instead of working for eternity. The thorn, the first thorn, has to do with the, with the worries of the world. The second thorn, noted here, has to do with the deceitfulness of riches, the thorn of materialism and the unhealthy belief that things and possessions can satisfy, sustain, and promote happiness in my life. This is the thorn-filled lie that chokes your time and resources Necessary to, necessary to truly live and experience the abundant life because you're chasing the temporal one. The deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things, which is a general statement that says anything that competes with God is an other thing. And it's a thing that has been elevated in its competition with God to choke out time for God and the things of God. 
I argued when we worked our way through this last time that this involves the deception and a divided heart, a deceived heart, because the farmer would cut the weeds down. He would burn the field. The problem is he wouldn't dig out the that would ultimately compete with the crop that had been planted. This is the person who doesn't truly repent. You have incompatible competitors in your heart that have not been rooted out by confession and repentance. I've got God and this other thing that I do. Thorns, quick-growing weeds, the desires of the flesh, the worries of the world, the other things, the deceitfulness of riches will grow up and do what? Kill the potential of the seed. It'll steal the nourishment. It'll steal the moisture. It'll steal the assets necessary to produce fruit. Three soils three soils that you're going to have to say are not good soils because verse 20, and these, the fourth soil or the fourth heart style, are those, the ones on whom seed was sown, and that's on the good soil. Now, just think with me. Implication, the other three soils are not good soil. These are those, verse 20, who hear the word, watch this, and accept it. Paradecamite. They, with enthusiasm, welcome it in. The knock's on the door. You look through the eye hole. You live in that kind of neighborhood. You're not sure who's wanting to come visit. And you see that it's the good news of the gospel in the person of Jesus Christ. It's not a materialism, it's not, it's not materialism, it's not affection, it's not somebody selling insurance, so you have insecurity, and you throw the door open. Throw the door open is accept. It's welcome. Come on in. Good soil is a really, I want to receive heart. It's a receptive heart. And here's the other key word in verse 20. It's a productive heart. It's receptive because it desires what is being offered. It is the heart that says, I want what the seed of the truth of the gospel is offering. Verse 20, they hear it. So they've received the benefit of the information, the good news of Jesus Christ and the gospel of God and the kingdom. And then listen to Matthew 13. And if you're taking notes, 13.23, this is Matthew's commentary on this parable. But he adds this statement, which is critical to being receptive. Receiving this seed was sown on the good soil. This is the man, the person, who hears the word. Now listen to this and understands it. Good soil welcomes it because it gets it. It wants it and it understands it. 
It hears the word and it understands the word. Now, I just want to pause for a minute and I want to make sure with clarity that the understanding of the gospel is clear to you. The good word that is understood is the word about the condition of the sinner. The condition of the sinner. That is, the wages of sin is death, not just physical death. Everybody physically dies unless Jesus returns. This is talking about the second death, eternal death, eternal separation from God, eternal consequences paid for sin, hell, torn consequences, listen to me, that are, that are just. I sometimes say to people who don't like the idea of hell because it's too harsh, I say, here's the problem with that. You don't understand sin. If you understood sin, you would know that hell is just. It's deserved. And if somebody injures your daughter or your son in a violent or evil way, you will understand what justice would require. Now amplify that through layers of sinful, violent, criminal against God behaviors, the accumulation of a lifetime in addition to rebelling against God, injuring people despite the commandments of God, the idolatry of self instead of God. Hell is just consequences, and that makes sin way worse than you imagine. And if sin had to be solved, paid for, And the only solution, which is the second point of what you have to understand, not just the condition of the sinner, but God's necessary provision for the sinner. Sin is way worse than you think. If it required God to give his only begotten son and pour out his just wrath on him on a cruel cross, all justice, all judgment for all who would believe those dark hours on the cross, that's what sin costs. That's what it takes to pay it. Sin's bad. Sin's, it's not, I know, I don't do as good as I should. I'm a little unkind with people. I know I shouldn't have taken that. I know I shouldn't have lied about that. I know I shouldn't have. And you just go on and on as if it's no big deal. Listen, the good news, the seed, you got to understand it. The condition of the sinner is we have all sinned and the wages of sin is death and the depth of my sin is there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who doeth good. Nobody seeks God. I'm lost. I deserve what's coming. And God in his grace, I understand the good news of the gospel is God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son the Lamb of God who knew no sin, who became sin for us, for me, and took a payment, paid a price that I couldn't pay no matter how hard I tried, even if I understood how bad I am, I can't make up for it. Jesus paid it all when he said it is finished. Listen, this is what people don't get, how bad I am, how deep my need, and how great God's provision undeserved. 
I know this is great church, Grace Church, but would anybody say amen to that? Amen. That's the truth. People don't get that. My car wash guy who's coming tomorrow, he doesn't get that. He's a Catholic. We talk about it, but it's like it, right over his head. Good soil gets it. And it also gets the fact that the necessary action, so it's the condition of the sinner, God's provision, and the necessary action in order to benefit from the gospel, the seed that saves. Repent and believe. Jesus came preaching the gospel of God. Repent and believe. Now listen, you can't separate repentance from belief. I know Jesus said, believe on the Son and you'll have life. Whosoever believeth in me has life, shall not perish. But you can't ignore repent. Peter's message, Acts chapter 3, repent so that your sins will be blotted out. means metanoia, changing your mind, thinking differently. I'm gone this way. I'm chasing this. I'm doing that. I'm living this way. And I see because of the grace of God that illuminates my heart, I see it. And here's the other word for repentance. I'm sad. I'm sorry enough to change. The sorrow of God produces repentance without regret. I get it. And I'm turning from it. I can't save myself I am in desperate, hopeless condition. Listen, don't ever get used to this message. You may, it may sound familiar to you. This is the difference between living and dying. This is the difference between you enjoying life and bearing fruit or having no fruit. Because you have this, but you've not repented. I grew up in the Northeast. I went to school in Rhode Island. If there's a place populated with Catholics, it's Rhode Island. They know all about Jesus. They have good theology as it relates to Jesus as the Son of God. He died on the cross, necessary substitute for sinners. See those statistics about Italy? I'm pointing. I know the screen's blank. But those statistics say that's what they believe. Repentance is changing your mind about that belief. It's not Jesus Christ plus my good works. It's not Jesus Christ plus the church. It is Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the substitute who paid my sin debt and offers a perfect righteousness that I don't deserve, I cannot earn. I repent of the lie that assigns value to anything else but Jesus Christ. I repent of the sins that would suggest or communicate that I don't get who God is, what God has done. I'm going to keep living my life the way I like to live it, and I've added Jesus as an insurance policy just in case. You repent of that. When you get the fact that that's foolish, 
and contradictory to the good news of the gospel, it should make you sad. When you see what your selfishness and your sin does to your family, your friends, it should make you sad. Sadness is a part and foundational emotions that go with repentance. Against thee and thee only have I sinned. I've done in your sight and a broken and contrite heart you will not despise. The gospel involves a call to action that says, I'm sorry, and I'm moving in a new direction. I'm changing my mind. It's a choice I make by the work of God because salvation is all of God. And then belief, pistis. I'm repenting and I'm relying. And it's not just I acknowledge Jesus is who he says he is. I'm banking my whole life on it. Those who are the recipients of divine transformation and those who bear fruit hear it and they understand it and they welcome it. They open the door by choice to say, I need that, I want that, and I receive that. And I submit to the lordship of the Savior who's granting me such grace. That's what you have to understand. Turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 8. That's what a good heart does. It understands and it accepts. It welcomes. It opens the heart. Good soil is not bad soil. It's not hard-hearted. It's not shallow. It's not got competing interests. It's not thorny. It's not focused on the world and the deceitfulness of riches and other stuff. It's good soil, not hard, not superficial, not divided. I want to talk now a little bit in Luke's gospel here. I want to highlight something about the good soil. It's it's why they receive it. The characteristics of the person who receives this good seed. Look at verse 15, Luke chapter 8. And the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word. Now watch this. In an honest and good heart. Honest and good. Intellectually honest can be translated sincere or noble. F.F. Bruce writes, this was a common phrase in the culture to refer to someone who had noble motives and generously devoted their time to that aim. They were good. It was an honest and good heart. Honest heart is someone who's sincere in motive when they receive this truth. It has to do with I'm intellectually honest. I'm not deceiving myself. I'm not putting on a show. This is noble motives. And it's a good heart, which means it's a heart that is pursuing true good, not just a means to an end. Listen, there are a lot of people who who treat Jesus pragmatically. It's going to make my life. It's going to give me my best life now. 
This is all about what God can do for me. A good heart is, I need what God will do for me, and my desire is to do good for God and the good of others. Agathos, a good heart. Think anti-politician. Because that's how it feels, doesn't it? Aren't politicians supposed to be servants to the people? Now, listen, you may know a name that represents that description, but it's hard to find that in our culture. It seems that politicians, and that's the reason I bring this up is because at the time when Jesus made this statement in the Greek culture, it had to do with aristocracy that was concerned about the good of the people. They had a noble heart. They had a good heart. They were servants to others. It doesn't seem like that's the goal if you're a politician. It seems like, and listen, if you're a politician, I praise God if you're that rare person, and forgive me, but, but you know, it's like talking about a group of people that have earned a reputation that says, I'm in this for me. And a person whose good soil heart is the person who gets it, welcomes it, and their heart is noble in the receiving of it. Not self-interested. I want you to notice this statement in the Gospel of Luke. Good heart, and it holds fast. Hold fast. It means it has a convictional commitment. Last Sunday, I didn't make it to our fellowship group. Last Sunday, I was getting ready for church. I was about ready to put my dress slacks on. And as I was getting dressed, thought went through my mind, I have a hole in my roof. Solar panels were installed in May. They damaged one of the... Do we, do we have a picture? Can you get... Yeah, so there it is. That's a hole. That's tar paper, and there's plywood beneath it, and there's supposed to be a concrete shingle there, and that's a big hole. And I'm on my get-ready-for-church routine, and guess what I remember? I have a hole in the roof, and Hillary's coming. <laughs> I sent that picture to the solar repair people to say, hey, I have a hole in my roof. Can you get... We'll, we'll fix it in May. Now, listen, I live in California. Does it ever rain here? No. So I forgot about it. Don't think about it. I don't wake up every morning going, I got a hole in my roof. I need to call these folks. Well, last Sunday, I remembered. And I thought, oh, my goodness. I can't let that happen. I mean, I have insurance. I'm sure the company has insurance. But have you ever had major water damage in your home? Do you want to live through that? Me neither. Being a ladder which leaves me two and a half feet short of the roof. But I've done it before. I've gotten up there. (laughs) I just can't get off. And my thought was, I'll sit there until Karen, who had been walking the dog, who left her phone in the house, I called her, no answer, then I hear it ringing in the house. So I don't have an ally to hold the ladder. But hey, see that? I got a hole in the roof. I have a conviction that I can't let that hole in the roof happen. I got to get on the roof. So I found an old concrete shingle 
that I guess the guys had left, maybe that one, on the ground out front. I got my tarp. I got up my 12-foot ladder. I'm now standing on the top, not on the top step, on the top. I put my stuff on the roof, and then I go for it. You know where you kind of launch? And you say, that's stupid. That's what my wife said. I said, honey, I have a hole in the roof. Hillary's coming. It had not started to rain, but I could see the map. It's on the edge of it. So I made my move. The ladder, though I thought I had gotten it in a good spot, went away. It, it, it went backwards. It didn't fall. It just didn't help me. So I'm two-thirds of the way on that roof. I'm on the other side where you can see those panels on the far side. I'm just beyond that. And I'm two-thirds up. And now I'm in no man's land. Because I don't have enough to get up. I can't push up to make it. And if I come back down on the ladder, I have no confidence that's a good plan. So I'm praying. I'm Elijah praying. God, make it (laughs) stop raining. (laughs) Help me. And you say, where's this illustration going? Where this illustration is going is the convictional commitment to fix a hole. And in the circumstance I'm in, I can't come off this roof. I'm 65. I don't bounce. It's a 12-foot fall. There's a sidewalk. There's no good, foreseeable, predictable outcome. Here's the convictional commitment. Hold fast. I'm not coming off this roof. So I got a little scrape here. I got enough of a hand on the gutter. Now, I know I can't count on the gutter, except for a little bit of a boost. And to the grace of God, I got enough of a boost to get on the roof, and I laid there breathing like I'd run a marathon, (laughs) grateful beyond words, and then with fear to go, oh, my goodness, now I got to stay on the roof. Because, you know, it's oak leaves, and, you know, and then it starts to drizzle. So now I have a slippery concrete roof. And the cool shoes that are great for running or hiking are zero on a roof that's wet. They're ice skates. So the shoes came off. Now my hiking socks. And long story short, I went up the roof, as close to the roof. I've got skin marks on my knees. I had skin marks on my elbows. You know why? I'm holding fast. I am not coming off this roof. Now, I know it's a long illustration. It's two things. Explanation why I blew off church last week. (laughs) Number two, it illustrates if you have a conviction about the gospel of God, no matter how difficult it may be, you aren't letting go. What else do you have? Come off the roof? You got a hole in your life, and the only way you're going to secure safety and security is to hang on. My wife nearly killed me for trying to kill myself. I just, she was not happy. I said, honey, what was I supposed to do? My son and daughter-in-law made me to swear in a Christian way that I won't <laughs> I will never get on the roof again. Like I'm done. But I promise you, I didn't think I had an alternative. Who wants to be on the roof? There is no alternative. And the conclusion of this passage says, if you hold on, 
Do you see the word in Luke's gospel and bear fruit? And you bear fruit with perseverance. I just found it interesting. Perseverance means endurance. It's staying at it even if it's hard. Anybody want to argue Christianity's not popular? Or let me just put it differently. You want to argue it's popular? It's not popular. You lose your job, you lose your friends, you lose opportunities, you get canceled. There's all kinds of consequences to declaring the truth that saves. But if you're going to bear fruit, you have to endure the consequences. You not only have to hang on to that truth for dear life, you need to bear fruit in the difficulties of life. And what kind of fruit do you bear? Explosive fruit. I mean, you can't believe it. Listen, you're not saved by bearing fruit or by any other good work. But you are saved for fruit bearing, and if you're saved, you will bear fruit. And Jesus says, good soil bears fruit 30, 60, and 100-fold. Do you know what that means? Explosive, exponential, undeniable, I can see it, can't believe Harry is the way Harry is. What kind of fruit? Change life fruit. What kind of fruit? Changing life fruit. What kind of fruit? Fruit of the Holy Spirit. 30, 60. That's not natural. It's supernatural because it's supernatural seed. So the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, is other-centered behavior. Loving and considering someone is more important than yourself. Even when they don't deserve it, even at your expense. Big fruit is, I got a lot of that in my life. When my wife doesn't behave as I think she should and as prescribed by her faithful, loving husband, I'm teasing. I am faithful, loving. I try. But when she doesn't deliver for me, it's an opportunity to display the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is, I will respond differently than otherwise I would. Joy, peace, Here's an assignment for you, because I know you want to go to church, and Dr. Admiral Chow's in the pulpit today, and I'm excited about what he's about to preach. But here's an assignment for you. You ought to inspect some fruit, and you ought to go to Galatians chapter 5, and you ought to look at the list, nine things, fruit of the Holy Spirit. And I had them listed. I was going to kind of drive this home. I may still do it. And self-control. And the fruits of the Holy Spirit, how obvious. Because what Jesus says is the defining, distinguishing mark of good soil, truly saved people, is they bear fruit. And they bear it when it's tough, and it's big enough that it's undeniable. Can you say amen to that? Does that make sense? Hang on, be faithful, welcome it, get it, live it, and watch God work through you. The verse was up there, you sow the seed, God brings forth the what? The increase. This is supernatural. This is not Harry doubling down and trying harder. This is God doing what God does in people he saves who get it, understand it, hang on to it, 
and have a good heart and a desire to be used of God in the world they live in today. Father, thank you for the opportunity to consider good soil. And Lord, I do pray by your Spirit, through the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, that you would bring clarity and conviction to the heart that looks Christian but isn't. For whatever reason, it's either confused or compromised or calloused. And Lord, I pray that you'll work in that heart. And there'll be honest confession. And there'll be real transformation. And nobody will have to ask whether you're a Christian or not, or they're a Christian or not. Help them. Help us all to live in a way that honors the God who is good and great, who gave us his only son to be agents of healing in a world that's broken. To that end, I ask it in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.